The heat was unbearable. At least that's how Cora would have described it a year ago. That's the funny thing about gruesome situations, about which she had always imagined but never really believed in. Like when she was mad at her dad for grounding her and then daydreamed about being kidnapped and thrown off a pirate ship into a pool of hungry alligators. Then he'd be sorry, etc. The characters in Cora's favorite books always seemed to cope with whatever unfortunate circumstances were thrown their way, and she had always been secretly exhilarated by the thought of putting herself in one of those precarious positions, heroically battling gigantic monsters or getting stuck in a time machine or discovering that her teacher was really an escaped convict. But somewhere in the back of her head, while tucked comfortably in bed and wishing that something exciting would happen in her life, she had also thought, if that were me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't bear it. Six hours earlier, Cora had shut her eyes and screamed for most of the treacherous journey down to Gambit. Like learning to drive a car, Aiken had tested out each feature before plummeting down the hole and into the sky. The fact that the rocket launchers finally did swing around to the bottom of the Veloxivus while speeding toward certain death, well, it would take Cora a long time to face that traumatic memory and remember just exactly how they managed to do it. If Uncle McNitt had not programmed Gambit as an option for autopilot, and if Aiken had not figured out which button to press in order to activate that autopilot, well, Cora couldn't bear to think about it. It's not p p p possible, Aiken had stammered over and over after falling into the new world, until Cora had to smack him on the cheek to keep him from crashing the Veloxivus onto the shore. After they had landed in the water, Cora began to tell Aiken about her journey to the Coalition of Civilized Animals, which was clearly where they needed to go to get help. There she would find Professor Canari, and he would know what to do. The only glitch in this plan was that she had absolutely no recollection of where Uncle McNitt had landed the Veloxivus the day before. The shore looked all the same to her, with dozens of identical inlets and canals. I have a photographic memory, Aiken had muttered. I would have remembered. Maybe it's that one? Cora had pointed to a certain path, but it turned out not to be the right one. By the time Aiken finally turned the Veloxivus around and tried to retrace the path to the ocean, he couldn't find it. They must have taken a wrong turn at the fork on the way back, and they soon became trapped in a series of maze-like rivers. Yep, that's some photographic memory you have, Cora sneered at the time. After an hour of helpless circling, they had finally decided to tie up the Veloxivus to a tree and try their way on foot. After emptying the vehicle 
of all potentially useful items, which turned out to be a handful of pennies, a pocket knife, a small flashlight, and a compass, they began to make their way through the trees and onto the same path they were now on. Tell me more about this coalition, Aiken now said. Cora began again, telling him about Loretta and something about intellectual evolution and parrots and the division of labor and everything else she could possibly remember. Aiken removed his glasses for the hundredth time to rub his eyes, as if this would somehow help him gain clarity. You do understand that I don't believe a word you're saying, he puffed. Right, Aiken, like I'd make it up, Cora sighed. It's not your fault, he said simply. 